Thanks for having me. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Ben. I'm the interim pastor here. I'll be preaching today. And I uh, just want to open the book of Romans for you. Romans is an absolutely wonderful book. I love this book. And um, it's, it's just awesome. And, and it's, it's great. We, uh, we have a Sunday night Bible study called The Pursuit at Ingersoll. Uh, dolls, the dolls on Ingersoll, or Inger dolls as we call it. So if you guys want to get into that, we're digging into Romans a little bit deeper, and um, it's it's a great opportunity. And and I can speak for our group that we are getting a lot out of Romans too. So um, since this is a Lutheran church, I like to start out by uh, reading a quote from Martin Luther. If that's okay with you, uh, Martin Luther. Um, I think he knew a couple things about the Bible, and he said this about the Epistle to Romans. He said, Romans is a letter that, in truth is the most important document in the New Testament. And that's a pretty bold statement. He said, the gospel in its purest expression. Romans is the gospel in its most purest expression. Not only is it well worth the Christian's while to know it word for word by heart, but also to meditate it on it day by day. And it can never be read too often, and it can never be studied too much. The more you probe into this, the more precious it becomes, and the better its flavor. And I feel like that's the attitude we should have for Romans. And I feel like if we, get it, if we get into it and we know it, and if we get to know this book, we will be there with Martin Luther. That the aroma and the flavor of Romans will uh, cause us to salivate spiritually, to, to know that this book is the daily bread for our souls. It can never be read too often or studied too much. Uh, this book is perfect. It's just the way that God wanted it to be. Uh, and it is the purest expression of the gospel. So let's, let's get into that gospel today. Uh, there's nothing to add. And, and as we read, um, as we dig into it a little bit with Romans 1 and uh, Romans 2 and studying Romans 3 today, uh, we see that, that Paul is adding little by little to what he's said in the previous chapters. So as we get into it, we need to look at what the other chapters say. Just like a, you can't understand what an alternator does out of context of the whole rest of the engine or a carburetor. It doesn't make any sense unless you think about how it works with the rest of the engine. So it is with Romans 3. You have to understand Romans 1 and 2. So Paul is writing uh, the same way that a maestro writes a symphony. Right? If, if you ever heard the word crescendo, that you start out really small and you build. You build the harmony. You build to, to really loud. And, and so this is what a crescendo is. You start at pianissimo. And then you go all the way to triple forte. And so you see Paul here. In, in Romans 1, uh, he's talking about um, the righteousness of God revealed through the gospel. The righteousness of God is real from faith to faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And, and he's talking about the gospel and he's saying, he's talking about the law. And he's talking about uh, the righteousness of God is revealed in the law to the world, right? The, the law shows us the righteousness of God. The law shows us the way the world should be. And, and then in Romans 1, he's speaking against those who do not do the law, right? Uh, there's an old song that talks about the long-tongued liars, the midnight riders, the ramblers, the gamblers, the backbiters. Tell them that God's going to cut them down. <laughs> Ugh, that's not a very cheery song, but it's kind of where Paul's going. And um, so... That's where Paul starts. He talks about those who are against the law, those that the law speaks against. And then in Romans 2, he turns. So you can imagine his hearers, the people that are reading this book, are thinking, yeah, Paul, you get those long-tongued liars. You get them. You show them where it's at. And then he turns around and he starts speaking about the religious people. Uh, Paul says, uh, 
If you, if you judge others, if you judge one another, you condemn yourself because you don't practice what you preach. And that's what we see Paul doing in Romans 2. So he starts out and he speaks against those who are against the law. And then he speaks for the people that really think the law is on their side. He says, no, no, you don't have no claim to self-righteousness. And then in Romans 3, you heard at the beginning of our passage that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and all have fallen short of glorious standard is what our passage says. That's where we start today. That all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So we see that the righteousness of God is revealed. Uh, and that's where our reading is. That's where we start, the righteousness of God. And that's really what the book of Romans is all about. It's about the righteousness of God. And uh, here we see uh, the righteousness of God. And, and I think that righteousness uh, is, a, is a kind of a strange word, right? It's not a word that you use every day. You don't talk about righteousness in your daily life. You don't talk about righteousness around the di dinner table very much. We use self-righteousness. We talk about self-righteous people in our daily life. And, and um, I'm trying to think of different examples of what righteousness means in, in our culture. And the only example I could think of was Ferris Bueller. Right? Ferris Bueller is, uh, is one righteous dude. So says his, uh, his principal secretary. The principal's pulling his hair out. He says, why does everybody love Ferris Bueller? Well, he's one righteous dude. <laughs> right? And, but if you use righteousness in that context... Today, people will give you a look at you sideways, right? You can't sit, that's righteous. We don't use the slang term anymore either. So what does righteousness mean? There's all these religious words that we use that don't really have any bearing in our regular lives. And I think we can do better. As the church, I think we can do better because righteousness has a lot to do with our daily lives. Um, the Greek word for righteousness is dikaiosune. Everybody say, Dikaiosune. Very good. At West Des Moines, they looked at me like, you want me to say what? <laughs> so, Dikaiosune is righteousness. We're talking about the righteousness of God. Uh, and uh, I think that if we could get into it, then you know what righteousness is. You know what righteousness means. Uh, in Romans, this book is used 30 times. Um, and that is about four times as many as any other book in the Bible. So righteousness is a serious theme. Righteousness is really important. The righteousness of God is revealed through faith and by faith. And Paul writes, the power of the gospel is salvation to all those who believe. Why? Because of the righteousness of God is revealed. God is perfect. And that's where we see the righteousness of God. Um, so... As, as I try to illustrate it, I wanted to do better than just to use religious words to describe this religious word. Is what we do. We think, okay, how do you describe righteousness? Well, if you're righteous, you're holy. Well, yeah, you're using a religious word to describe a religious word. Well, if you're righteous, you're justified. Well, there's an even more confusing religious word. So how can we describe righteousness? And, and so um, here's my example of what righteousness is. This is what the law does. This is what the law gives us. You can see that there's order and beauty in it. You know, um, everything is where it should be, right? And because the grains of sand are in the right place, we see the beauty and the righteousness of the world. Because the things are in the right place, because things are God, where God put them, because things are serving the purpose that God gave them, 
we see the righteousness of God. We see the righteousness of God in, in the beauty of the world. We see the righteousness of God in each other. We see the righteousness of God. And when you think righteousness, I want you to think justice. Justice is a word that we all understand. Justice is a word that we get. Everybody understands justice because everybody knows injustice. Right? Injustice is something that we live with every day. And so, as we think about unrighteousness, I want to talk about injustice. Because injustice is something that, that everybody gets. Injustice hits you right here. Injustice hits you at home. You grieve injustice. You know injustice. So let's talk about injustice. I want to tell you a story from my life a few weeks back. Uh, we had a meeting uh, downtown, and in between sessions of our meeting, there was a juice stand right outside where we were um, meeting. So I was like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the juice bar and, and get a juice. And, and I'm not talking like orange juice and grapefruit juice. They had fresh squeezed melon juice. They had cantaloupe juice. They had all these different kinds of berries. And uh, I'm thinking, man, I've never had fresh squeezed cantaloupe juice before. I'm going to try this out. And so I go to get a juice, and there's three people in line in front of me. So I'm like, ah, that's not bad. I can, I can get a juice and get back to my meeting. And, and, I, and I'm standing there, and I wait, and I wait, <laughs> and I wait. And I, there's one guy working at the juice stand, and he, he walks over here, and he cuts some melon, and then he walks over here, and he pours something in a vial. Or, I don't, see, I'm like, okay. So I... Uh, it, take, it seems like it's taking them 10 minutes to serve each customer, and I'm getting more and more impatient as I go. And so um, I'm kind of, okay, I'm, I'm keeping my cool, but I, I'm, I'm getting a little impatient. And then it happens. The guy behind me uh, ends up being the obnoxious cell phone guy. <laughs> you all know this guy that he, uh, he's screaming at his cell phone about what he's having for dinner or who knows what, something really personal about his brother's uh, digestive health or something, you know, you're thinking, man, I really don't care. And honestly, if you had two cans and a string, you wouldn't have to scream as loud as you are right now. And I'm pretty sure that technology you're holding in your hand is better than two cans and a string. So, you know, I'm a little bit tense because I'm waiting in this line and it's taking way longer than it should. And then obnoxious cell phone guys just making it worse. And, but I, I've strengthened my resolve. I know that I want that juice, and I decide, I'm getting my juice. It doesn't matter if this guy working here is, is the slowest, mopiest juice employee ever. It doesn't matter if this is the most obnoxious cell phone guy ever. I'm getting my juice. And then it happens. Obnoxious cell phone guy, still drawing away about whatever he's talking about, steps around me, and he steps in front of me. He doesn't look at me. He doesn't, he's still having his conversation. He doesn't say anything to me. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm just <laughs> looking, I'm like, what? What just happened? I have no idea. Did I just slip into the third grade again? Or is this like an episode of Seinfeld? And it was just bizarre, and it was silly. And it's a silly story, but in it you can see injustice, right? I, was, I wasn't treated like a person. I wasn't given my dignity. That I, we have law and order. This isn't like uh, the wild. You know, we, we have things called lines for a reason. We, we stand in line, and, you, and I'm in front of you in line, and so then I give juice first. This is, this is injustice. Don't you feel my pain? This is injustice. We call for justice, and we want justice. And, and, and so as we think about the righteousness of God, 
Let's think about justice. And, and even as silly as the example is, seeing it in justice and no injustice. But in reality, you know, you don't need an example like this because you know injustice. You know what it means to live in a world full of injustice. You know what it means to live in a world that does not have the order that God gave it, that does not have the order that God want for it. Our world is unjust. Our world is a world where babies are born with diseases that are terminal. <laughs> Our world is a, is a world where babies aren't even born because uh, they don't get the chance to live. Our world is a world where children die of hunger. Our world is a world where people are mistreated because of their race. Our world is a world where there is no law and order. And our world is a world where law and order is used to oppress people, not to serve people, not to save people. Our world is a world where the evil are in charge of the law and order. Our world is a world where there is no justice. The order the beauty, the perfection that God created in the world, that God gave the law for, is gone. There's nothing we can do to put it back the way that it was. There is no justice in this world. And we know that. You know that because you live with addiction. You know that because you've been mistreated. You know that because the people around you have disappointed you. They've let you down. You've given your heart to people, and these people have turned their back on you. You know the injustice of this world. You know injustice. So you know what the righteousness of God is like because you know it negatively. You know what it, what it is to not have the righteousness of God. You know what it is to live in a world of unrighteousness. So you know the righteousness of God because you know, you know it negatively. Because you know injustice, know the righteousness of God. There's a longing in your heart. You may not have ever recognized it as that but recognize it as a longing for the righteousness of God. Have you ever thought about it that way? That hole in your, in your heart, that hole in your soul, that, that thing that's missing from your life is a longing for the righteousness of God. It's true. We, we long for it. We grieve because we're constantly reminded as we look at the disorder of the world, we know by the grains of sand that we're given, we know that it should be different. We know because every single grain of sand still bears the color that it should have, right? The yellow sands are still yellow. The, the blue sand is still blue. The red sand is still red. But it doesn't have the beauty. It doesn't have the order that it used to have because of the unrighteousness of this world. We live in a world where dictators are killing their people, where people are stealing, stealing billions of dollars from people. We live in a world where people are dying from hunger. And we live in a world where crazy people are taking drugs and biting people's faces off. You know the world of injustice. Because you know injustice, you know the righteousness of God. Recognize it for what it is. Recognize these people's sin for what it is. David did. David recognized the world for what it was, for the injustice that it was. And he, he looked... Uh, at it like this. He's, he was a man that knew God's heart. He was a man that sought after God's own heart. David was a man that recognized it for what it is. Can we recognize the world for what it is today? David was, uh, was king and he had a prophet named Nathan. Nathan was the prophet of, of God and he was, he was David's advisor. And, and Nathan 
uh, came to David one day and he said, this is a poor man in your kingdom. There's a man who has nothing to his name. There's a man who doesn't even have anybody. He doesn't have anybody to call his family, anybody to call his own. This man has a lamb that he raises a child because it's the only thing in this world that he cares for. He raises this lamb as his own child and he cares for it and he loves it. And, and in that same town, there's a rich man. And, and what happened was this rich man who has flocks and flocks of sheep had a guest come to town. And this rich man who has so many flocks of his own cared so little for that poor man that he took and he killed that poor man's lamb so that he could have a feast for his guest. And why do you think David reacted? How do you think a man after God's own heart is supposed to react to a story like that? David was absolutely outraged. His heart was on fire. How can, let, how can anybody let this happen? Isn't anybody going to stand for justice in this world? Who's going to stand for those who are oppressed? Who's going to stand for those who are maligned? Who's going to stand while, while these injustices are being done? I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand for God. If nobody else is going to do it, I'm the king of this land. Bring that man to me and I'll see that justice gets done. I'll see that this man gets what's coming to him. This is David's reaction. And, and we're the same way. We want justice. We don't want to live in a world where people are eating people's faces. We don't want to live in a world where the poor are poor. We don't want to live in a world where all these horrible things are happening. So we have the same outrage that David has if, if we're paying attention. If, it's hard not to pay attention and keep from being outraged. We're outraged at the injustice of this world. But David totally missed the point of the story. Nathan Great as David was full of outrage, turns to David and he says, You are the man. You are the man. You are the man who's done this. Because you took Bathsheba from one of your soldiers. Bathsheba, this beautiful woman that you saw. When you could have everything. You are a man who has absolutely everything. You have everything you could ever want. And you took Bathsheba. You took her, took her for yourself. And when she became pregnant... You killed her husband to cover it up. And you're living like none of this has even happened. Who are you to be outraged at injustice? You are the man. That's the words that Paul asked for us today. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. His words for me, you are the man. His words for you, you are the man. You are the woman. You are the one who is the cause of injustice in this world. It's easy to be outraged at injustice when we think about it as the sins of other people. It's easy to think about injustice as things, are other, things other people are doing. We think about other people as predators sometimes. You are the man. You are the woman. We should stand for justice. We want to stand for justice as long as it's our kind of justice, as long as it's our selective justice. We stand for selective justice. You want justice but you don't want justice when it comes to the rub. When it really comes to hit home, justice starts to look a little bit different. As we grieve the brokenness of this world, God's word becomes a mirror for us. It shows us who we really are. It shows us where we really stand with God. I think about all the evil being done, and I'm tempted to lament the culture that we live in. It's always seeming like it's sliding deeper and deeper into unprecedented levels of debauchery. You think, how could it get any worse? As I feel the urge to start pointing fingers, the word of God is a mirror to me. You are the man. 
Everyone has sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. This, uh, this video that I want to show you is uh, um, a video taken in Britain and it's staged, uh, but this man is crying out for help and he's obviously doesn't look like he's in that great a shape. And uh, this is a busy train station there. And, and it takes 20 minutes for anybody to even ask if he's okay or ask if they can do anything. It takes 20 minutes. And um, I want to say that I would be a person that would help. I want to say that I would be a, the kind of person that would do something. But I don't know. These are just average people. I'm just the average guy. Can I say that I would, even though I haven't been in that situation? You, you want to say, we want to talk about injustice. We have these examples of big, horrible, evil people. You know, Charles Manson, Hitler. You know, these are what we think of as evil. What about these people? They're just average people. They're not bad people. This is not like this has happened, that the hundred worst people in the town happened to walk by this guy at this time. No, these are just average people. These are people like you and me. That could be you and me there. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We want to think that we're not the man. We want to think that we would be different. We want to think that we would help. But that's not necessarily the case. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We want selective justice. We want things to be right. But all the law does is show us that we're sinful. All it is is a, a mirror, a reflection that our life isn't what it should be. We see the grains of sand. We see where they should be. You see the yellow grains of sand and the red ones and the blue ones. And you see that they should be where they should be. And you see the purpose that, they, that there is for them. But they're not where they should be. The world isn't as it should be. A lot of, a lot of churches talk about social justice. Uh, and, and that's an example of, of selective justice. We want justice, but we want to put an adjective with it. We want to have an adjective that describes the kind of justice we want. Because we don't want justice. We want my flavor of justice. My selective justice is built to shelter, shelter me from this truth. From the truth of scripture. But these are the words of Paul. God's word for me just won't let me have that luxury. It, it won't let me be saved from justice. Justice is against me. Everyone is sin. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Paul tells us in Romans 3.20, No one is made right through the law, but through the law comes knowledge of sin. Scripture is a mirror. We see the way things should be. We see the way things were designed to be. We see the way things used to be. And it shows us, like a mirror, who we are. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous, Scripture tells us. God's justice, thank God, God's justice is nothing like our justice. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We who are the problem with the world are made right with God. We are pulled into the fold. We are declared righteous by God. He doesn't just claim us so. He makes it so on the cross. Jean Valjean is a man that knows this all too well. This is a story of a man who has no justice. There is no justice for this man in this story. This man was hungry. He had nothing to his name. 
just like that man with the sheep did. And he stole a piece of bread so that he could eat. And when he got caught, he was given 10 years as a prison sentence. And he served that 10 years. He served it with a shackle around his neck tied to an oar in a ship. And for 10 years, the metal wore on his neck. And, and the metal uh, created deep scars, permanent scars, where you can see the shackle was. And for 10 years, he lived that way. And when he was finally free of the shackle that was around his neck, of, of the metal shackle around his neck, the shackle of those scars was still there. This is a man who long after he was free, long after he'd paid his due for stealing a piece of bread, which the society had decided was 10 years in prison, long after that, he was marked as a criminal by those scars. Everyone that saw him knew that he was a criminal. And that's where we are. We bear the scars of our sin. We bear the scars of the sin around us. It's not just that we bear our own sin. We bear the burden of the sin around us. And like those scars, we, we bear the shame that goes with it. Jean Valjean could not go into the, the shops in the town. People wouldn't serve him. They wouldn't give him a job. There was no justice for Jean Valjean. Take a look. You no longer belong to evil. You've been ransomed from fear and hatred. All the reminders of what's wrong with your life, all the things that remind you of the things you've done wrong are gone. Thank God that God's justice is not like our justice. Thank God that you've been ransomed from fear and hatred. Fear and hatred have no claim on your life anymore. Let it go. Let go of the resentment that you feel. Let go of the sins that you hold on to. Let go of the addictions that bind you. Let go of that shackle that's around your neck. Let go of the scars that that shackle has given you. Let go. You have been ransomed from fear and hatred. With that silver, Jean Valjean was able to start a new life. The price that we are given is so much greater, so much more precious. So precious is the blood of Christ that, get, that we're given. Every reminder, every single thing that holds us back is gone. We let go. There's nothing I can do to put my life right. There's nothing I can do to put this back the way that it was. There's nothing I can do to get my life back the way that it should be. We think that God is, um, well, God's reasonable, right? He's not going to ask anything of me that I can't do. Or, you know, God knows that I'm a pretty good person. At least I'm not as bad as some of those other people. Right? I'm not, I'm no, I'm not that evil. I'm not, you know, I'm, I try to be good. That's good enough, right? We have lives that are totally out of whack. There's nothing we can do to get right with God. But God has ransomed us from fear and hatred. God has ransomed us from the sin that holds us. The law is a reminder of every single thing that's out of order, every single grain of sand out of place. We are free from that law in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ sets us free so that we no longer have to live we no longer have to live with fear and hatred but we're set free set free even from the law the law is a mirror it reminds us who we are it reminds us of our sin the law is there to remind us but god reminds us something different god reminds us that we are ransomed from fear and hatred we are set free every grain of sand that reminds us of the horrible things that we've done, of the things we lived through, even of the horrible things that other people have done to us. God sets us free from that. Those things don't belong to you anymore. Your sin doesn't belong to you anymore. Let go of the law. Let go of your need to be right. 
Let go of everything that you are holding on to. Let go so that you can be empty. Let go of it and God will fill you again. God will give you a new lease on life. God will give you a new start. This is the power of the cross. Like Jean Valjean, you are given a new start. You are given a new life in Christ. You are set free from the power of the law. You're not under the law anymore. All the things that you've done have been forgiven. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could be his righteousness. You are the righteousness of God today. Remember it. Today as we pray that by amazing grace, all your chains are gone. We know that, that the shackle that was around your neck is gone and the scars themselves are gone in Jesus Christ. Today we hold on to things that we shouldn't hold on to. We hold on to resentment. We hold on to fear. We hold on to that hatred because it makes us feel safe, because it makes us feel powerful, because, because we're in control. Today we remember the things that we hold on to as we pray. As we pray, let's, let's pray like this. Put your hands like this. And today we're going to pray and remember the things that we're holding on to. Gracious God, I pray uh, that, you would, that you would show me the things that bind me. You show me the shackles that I don't even see. Show me the things that I hold on to that hold me back. Gracious God, I pray that you would help me see those things so that I can let go. Gracious God, I confess to you that I am sin. I am a sinner, Lord. I am, I am full of sin. Sin has overtaken me. And I pray that you would forgive me. I pray that you would give me the power to let go. Amen. And today, we pray like this. We pray with our hands out like this because we, we know that God has given us the power to let go of those things. Put out your hands like this as we pray. Gracious God, we pray with our palms open. We pray letting go of our fear and hatred. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. But you have laid the iniquity of us all on Jesus Christ. You have laid our sin on Jesus Christ in the cross so that we don't have to live in fear and hatred anymore. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have forgiven us. Help us to let go. I let go of my sin. I let go of my resentment. I let go of, my, of the grudges I bear against those who've sinned against me. I let go today, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that because of your cross, I can let go. And today, we pray, amen. We pray like this. We pray like this because we open our hands. We are empty. We are empty to what God has for us now. We are, we are empty to the new life. We are empty of the law so that we can be filled with the gospel. Let us pray. Gracious God, we pray with hands open to whatever you have given us. We pray that you would be with us. We pray that you would fill us up again. We pray that by your grace, we can be the people that you have called us to be. We can be your light in this world, Lord. I pray that you would make it so because there's no way we can put the grains of sand back where they should be. There's no way that we can ever put things back the way they should be. We know that in your cross, it is so. We know that in your cross, you have put life back the way that it should be. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your forgiveness. Amen.